suffered off and on for years with jock itch and that's not fun um <laughs> what's so funny jock itch jock itch so last night i'm like i oh, the jock itch is flaring up real bad and so Britt gave me this like viral cream to use and it was like an icy hot so i put uh, it down there and it was like freezing cold <laughs> it didn't itch i'll tell you that much but man it was cold my uh my brother, when he played football, uh, when yeah. he got initiated into the high school team, they gave him a choice. Shave his head or uh, put some hot and cold on your nuts. And he took the hot and cold because back then he was really obsessed with his hair. And so he's like, yeah, you oh, ain't yeah. cutting my hair. And so he took the hot and cold. And I thought they also had like another one of the initiations was like they, they just filled your underwear up with different types of shit. And he had to put the underwear on. Uh, I mean, if there was, he didn't get it or he didn't tell us about like it. They, were, they put glue and peanut butter and honey and hot sauce and all this crap into your underwear. And he had to wear it as the initiation. Man, can you imagine getting hot sauce in your friggin' pee hole? Ooh. That'd be brutal. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. You know, I've thankfully had STD clear for my entire life. But I'll tell you something. I cannot imagine what burning of uh, of urine would feel like. Oh, that'd be horrible. Yeah, I can only imagine. I remember being a kid, I had something that made it pretty hot and uncomfortable. It wasn't an STD. It was just something that was going on. I was a kid. Of course, it was an STD. I've had but. random times where I'm, like, soaping up, and then, like, soap would get in there or something by mistake. And uh, so that kind of felt like it was burning while you pee just because it's, like, yeah. but it's not anything STD-related. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I am recording. Are you recording? Yeah. yeah I, mean, I'll, I had pears the other week. You know, my, my parents, when they came up, they're part of this um, uh, basket of, like, produce thing that Lindley's – it's like what Lindley's does. It. It's from Lindley's. And um, so they brought up this, like, basket of pears. So Brynn doesn't like pears because she thinks the bear, the pears are too gritty. So I was just meeting the pears. You end up getting the runs eating that many pears. Yeah. That's There's a bit with Larry. He's lying to this dentist because he didn't want to hang out with him, so he said he went to pear country. And he's like, <laughs> so he got his teeth knocked out by Nansen's kid, and he's got no teeth. He's sitting there. He's like, ah, oh, you get a little tired, pear after pear after pear, getting the runs. <laughs> 
what was this episode? Because you're the curb aficionado. That's the one. It's called. Um, no, it's a different episode. It's I, called I have a catch shirt. Episode. Oh, okay, the one you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Funkhauser and Larry are having this Mexican standoff about the like who gets the last word in. Because he keeps trying to say he's like, I'm gonna go. I can't do the Funkhauser. He's like, I'm gonna go. And then he's like, goodbye. He's like, no, you don't get the last word. I can tell you. It's, it's like this big pissing contest. All right. I think that was, it's one of the newer ones. And, okay, Funkhauser starts dating this girl, and she hates Larry. Of course. Like, with a passion, <laughs> hates Larry. <laughs> and um, she basically gives Funkhauser the ultimatum that, um, if they're going to date, you should, can't be friends with Larry. Okay. So, Funkhauser goes to give this, like, emotional goodbye. Like, this is my goodbye to you, my friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then they go to, like, some dinner and they have to sit at the same table. And Larry's like, no, oh, you're just not going to talk to me? He's, like, looking at her. <laughs> and she's also really mad because they go to a dinner party at her house. And she serves tap water. Uh, and Larry hates it. She gets really defensive about it. And, um, oh, God, it's so funny. This the dynamic. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. It's one of the, it's not this past season, but the season, it's last season Bug Gouser was on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know what we got to do today here, Brian? I take it you're recording. Yes. Hey, we got an episode of Canada FM. Not an off topic episode, but a regular episode of Canada FM to get into. Hot damn. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I was printing off uh, the script at work just before I left to come record, I looked at the date because I wanted to see the date I started this on. September 13th. Jesus. So it has been a month. A month in the making. And, uh, but, you know, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah. We were saying it for a while that we were going to have to take a break when I had a kid. And, uh, yeah, we had to take a break. I mean, so. the good news is, I mean, we appreciate whoever actually does have nothing better to do and decides to listen. Uh, but we don't have these legions of fans. Because I hear stories about people that are like, like I'm a, I'm a weekly listener of Tim Dillon's podcast. And he's like, every week, because, you know, they're on the road every weekend in different comedy yeah. clubs. So he usually does his podcast while he's from, like, a hotel or something. And... He's uh, he's like it's only audio this week. Last week I had to deal only audio and I got like a thousand people up my ass saying where's the video. I was like, well, fuck yourself. Yeah. It's like and thank a lot God of those we don't have that. Podcast like ours. I, I now here's how small potatoes we are. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of the big time guys who just do audio. Like Berg gets us a lot. You'll get spammed by people. I could do your video. It's real easy. I know how to do video. You haven't gotten anything like that yet. So. Well, I mean, I could do video potatoes. too. But, uh... <laughs> Look how you did that. I can do video, too. I was just saying, we, we could both... Some fucking big shot out there. <laughs> we could both... Well, actually, no, it is it is a bit more of a pain in the ass, actually, because you need, like, a mixer and a switcher and all this shit. So, uh, I mean, exactly. we could we could just record the screen grab, the this conversation, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just have a screen grab of us every episode what we're wearing yeah although the problem is, is usually we do these early in the morning this is a rare evening record yeah but since i've been yeah. like you've had to go into the office this whole time i've been working from home since march 19 or 20th of 2020 yeah and my wardrobe has literally not changed i rotate three or four different hoodies that's it 
You know what I did today? I wore jeans to work just to see if anyone was noticing. And no one did. So, what, are you supposed to be wearing slacks? Yeah. You're giving the news. You're not like you're not on Wall Street where you got to wear some like well, we, striped we shirt a with change. a not matching collar. We have a change in leadership, and this guy's a little bit more laid back because he used to rock jeans in his old position, our new like boss over who oversees the newsroom, and now he wears like a shirt and tie every day. But I know what he used to wear. He used to dress like a bum, and now he dresses really nice because he's he was behind the scenes too. It wasn't on TV. Yeah. So I'm like, eh, I'll dress. I'll dress. I'll you know what? I'm wearing the vest and the tie. Okay, let me wear the jeans. I'll do halvesies here. Halvesies? Sound good? <laughs> Holesies. No, halvesies. <laughs> I'll do halvesies here. You know, I'll look good up top, and I'll look like a bit of a bum from the waist down. But, hey, wearing a nice pair of jeans looks better than, like, a wrinkled pair of dress pants. Yeah. Or a pair of, you ever see, oh, yeah, the, the, the pants. You know what? I wouldn't be offended if someone came to, a, like, a formal party I had. I'd be more offended if they showed up in jeans, but like look nice from the waist up, than if they look nice from the waist up, but like their, you know, slacks were too big or wrinkled or too short or something like that. Or it's like uh, that episode of The Simpsons where Cooter is wearing uh, Homer's clothes where they're all baggy. Like sometimes <laughs> you get that with like fat people who lost weight, but they haven't like they haven't fully. Adapted their wardrobe yet? So they're like their slacks are all baggy and they just look bad. And isn't that what Cooter's like? We look like a couple of movie stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old Jim Varney. <laughs> well, we're not talking about Jim Varney today. We're talking about a gentleman by the name of Hayden Neal and his band Jack Soul. That's today's edition of Canada FM, where we examine Canadian bands who really only hit it big up here in the 44th parallel. I hope I got that one It's right. 45th, dum-dum. North uh, of the 45. You know what? What's, what's, what would be the 44? Like Minnesota, Wisconsin? I don't know. <laughs> Sure, they, didn't, they still hit a big above the 44. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm Ted. I'm Brian. There you go. And uh, Brian, what what would be your first memory, if you will, of Jack Soul? Um, you have one? I don't have a set memory. I just remember the the 2000 album. I'm just trying to remember the name of it. Sleepless. Yeah, the and the the big single that came off of that. I'm terrible. Can't stop. Thank you. I'm terrible at song titles. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just remembered that one on repeat. Like I vaguely remember the music video before I edited the little piece for it a couple of weeks back. Uh, but I remembered it more on the edge. And or not the on the edge. Or, they played "Can't Stop." Uh, well, it's just like general pop radio, like because oh, okay. it was a very contemporary song. And like, but I, I feel like mm. it could have crossed different genres because especially now the edge plays rap and all these things and r&b and things and yeah but this is a lot more uh at least like with rap and like alternative rock there's an edge to both of those yeah. right this is a lot more pop it's a lot more just like family friendly yeah right uh, not that there's anything wrong with that as you'll hear as we go through this there's definitely nothing wrong with it i'm a the whole quite the jack soul fan the whole but, time i've um i was listening to these albums if, if I had to tell, like, a layman or just someone who's never heard of it, an American maybe, say, how would you describe Jack Soul? How would you describe it? Because I have my description. Okay. Um. God, that's, 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 that's hard. 
because if you look at each album, they're all a little bit different. Yeah. I think the overall sound would be how's this? It's R and B that doesn't get stale or boring. Yeah. Like Does that work? I, I basically said you could take a bit of Al Green, a bit of Marvin Gaye, a little like Wyclef and the Fugees, and Seal. Yeah. And uh Okay. And um what's her face? The, there's Mayfield. Yeah, well, he does cover, but yes, the well, there's there's also that he can do that falsetto. Oh yeah, second to none. And, and Curtis Mayfield was the master of that. Uh, what's the what's the band from the very '90s band? Oh my God, the the five black dudes. The, um, oh my God, Boys to Men. Thank you. <laughs> yes, a little. Bit. You're having a day. <laughs> just, you couldn't remember the name of, his, of Jack Soul's biggest album or big, big single. Now you can't remember one of the biggest R&B bands in history. I literally just got off work. My my brain <laughs> is friggin' fried. I'm doing my best. What do you want from me? But yes, I said those. Actually, uh, just the other day, I was doing physio and I have to do it out of my old gym because there's certain like exercises I have to do. And okay. so... The, the the gym guy's like, uh, hey, you, while you do your physio, you want to throw on some tunes? So I'm like, oh, might as well throw on some Jack Soul. And one of the other physiotherapists comes through the gym. He's like, what is this, Boys to Men? I'm like, no, it's Jack Soul. He's like, this is fucking great. Oh, you love yeah. it. Cause especially because well, my gym, because it's kind of like a very independent gym, people can kind of change the music as they want. Like, just literally, I was doing physio last week. I had Scala going. Two two dudes just came and turned it on Drake. And I was like, my stomach was in just turned. Oh. I was like, hot shit. Jesus. But, yeah, he, he loved it. Well, that's good. I'm glad someone liked yeah. it. Well, you know, a lot of people liked it because one of the reasons why I decided to do this episode on Hayden Neal and Jack Soul was because of the request that came in. Hey, we had a really good time with Philosopher Kings yeah. last season. And Jack Soul, pretty, especially that first album, um, Absolute, very reminiscent of the Philosopher Kings. And he actually worked with several members of the Philosopher Kings throughout his career. They were contemporaries. So I kind of wanted to revisit that, mix up the genres. And also my brother asked for this episode. He's always been a big Jack Soul guy. And uh, my friend Zane and Perry Sound said, how about Jack Soul? Would you do an episode of Jack Soul? I'm like, yes, I would. It's weird. Because for whatever reason, we always had this picture. I guess before I worked there, Hayden Neal came in to do an interview. And they had a picture of him always in our studio. So just a picture of him sitting at the microphone, like, talking. That's cool. No one else in the picture, just him. And that was always in the studio. That was after he passed away that I got that job, too. So it was kind of like a little bit of a... A little bit of an homage to, to Hayden Neal. Yeah, my friend well, Miles my friend Miles said uh, when I told him the premise of the show, he's like he's like, Let me know when you do Jack Soul, I'll definitely listen. I oh, was yeah? like, That's so weird. Oh, there you go. So there you go. It, it, but you, the, the legacy lives on. Yeah. Of uh, of Hayden Neal and Jack Soul. It's and I think re- I, I, I'll get into this theory a little bit later, but yeah. It's, he definitely Definitely, that audience I think is only going to grow over time. It's criminal. The, I mean, it's it's tragic that his he was his career was cut short, and it's criminal that while he was here, he didn't have more legions of fans because that guy was a true yeah. talent. But he did have widespread respect and admiration amongst his peers. And uh, you know, I hate to keep going back to the world of stand-up comedy, but we're seeing that with Norm Macdonald's passing. Yeah. He's a comedian's comedian, right? So all these great comedians are coming out with how he was the best. He was number one. They didn't ever said that when he was alive. Yeah. When Jack, when uh, Hayden Neal died, 
He was the musician's musician. Everyone was saying what a talent he was, what a great mind he had for production and for scoring and putting stuff together, you know, like you don't know what you got till it's gone. So that's why in this day and age, even though some people don't like to receive compliments, pay them a fucking compliment. Yeah. Don't wait till they're dead to compliment them. Yeah. All right. Well, we got something in common right off the hop with uh, Mr. Hayden Neal. He was born September 3rd, 1970 in the Hammer. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. This is our first Hamilton artist, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there you go. A couple of proud Hamiltonians. Now, I, I've got to be honest. There's not a whole lot of information out there about his upbringing. Because I remember just after he died, I watched this really great retrospect on CBC about Hayden Neal's life. And I thought I could just find it on YouTube. Well, it's not there. Um, it's harder to find. It's just like with Serial Joe. It's hard to find information on him because everything I found was just tributes for him after he passed yeah. and talking about, you know, some of the tragedies that hit him later in life, but nothing about where he went to school. You know what I mean? What right. he was listening to, how he got involved in the band. So it's going to kind of be like the Philosopher King episode. Philosopher King's episode, similarly to the same genre where we basically go, hey, he was born this day and now music. Yeah. Now it goes. We just fawn over how talented he is. Basically, yeah. And the good news is that uh, we will do plenty of that. But in 1994 is kind of when the saga of Jack Soul began. Actually, Hayden Neal dropped out of university in 94 to take uh, spend more time with the band and to take them seriously. And that original lineup would consist of Justin Abdin on guitar, Ron Lopata on the keyboards... David Direnzo on drums and a man just by the name is JK on the bass. And uh, two years after forming, they recorded they cut the first album. Absolute. Released on August 14th, 1996. Featuring the singles Eastbound Eastbound down the forward Crippling me to campus of the sudden sun Smell the sound of train Out my speaker member rain an unconditional Hi Brian, we'll start it off. First album, right out of the gates, how do these guys do? Uh, well, I put on this album, and as soon as I was driving, like this is good driving music. It's it's this band. Yeah, it is. This band is two things: it's smush music and it's driving music. <laughs> so when you're having sex in a car, you've it's got the perfect, perfect. thing. But yes. yeah, like the first song, Indigo, just was beautiful, and I'm like, I Absolutely. can I can tell I'm in for a treat. And again, it's the mid '90s. There wasn't a lot of this type of music going on because the Fugees hadn't hit it big yet, right? Um, it was basically like Boys to Men and Seal. <laughs> well, yeah, like like this was so this was mid '90s. So uh, this is like when that first Philosopher King album yeah. came out. And you're right, it was very much it was Boys to Men. It was Mariah Carey, the R&B world, like the new Jack swing boom was just kind of ending. And R&B was now really, really, really just becoming pop. Yeah. And it was getting to the point where it was almost racist. Like, <laughs> if a black artist... I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. If a black artist put out a pop album, 
it didn't matter if it was a pop album. He was black, it was R&B. Yeah. Well, I mean... You know what I mean? Every problems that plagued, like, the 50s artists is cyclical, right? You know, like yeah. the... the you sound too black for white audiences, uh, or yeah. this is whatever music. It's uh, it's not for for this type of crowd or whatever. Or even just how they you know stacked records in the in the record stores. It's like this is black music. This is white. It's like who says you can't look? That at was other basically music? it. Yeah. So like, if you're a black musician coming out and you wanted to do something more of the pop spectrum, it was just labeled R and B. So then you get this generation that thinks that that's R and B, and you know, you had to get some of these guys who were entrenched in the scene to really bring it to the mainstream. Yeah. And fortunately enough, in Canada, um, where we have to – this is where CanCon becomes a really good thing. Yeah. We've got to play more musicians. So that's where a lot of the more talented ones will push through. Hence, Jack Soul cutting – getting a break, an actual – R&B musician that's not playing a lot of super poppy stuff that's playing, like you said, smush music. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and I love that you mentioned Indigo. love how dirty, like, the first couple lyrics are. Like, he's talking about going in between your legs and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. I love that. It, it's getting right to the point. It's cutting out the chuffa. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. literally like, I wonder how many babies were conceived during some of those early Jack Soul years. <laughs> like, right after the show, it's like, <laughs> we're going to get down to fucking right afterwards. Or maybe even during. Who knows? Hey, why not? I guess. <laughs> Hopefully it's a dimly lit room. I don't know. Someone uh, could have ran to the... Everyone's doing it. It's not that big a deal. Someone could have ran to the bathroom and did them in the can. I don't know. Slow brown. Oh, oh, oh crash. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I thought this album was awesome. What a way to start your discography. Yeah. With absolute. Um... What was that? Another big favorite of mine was Doobie and Blue. Yeah. I thought I wrote that song freaking slaps. Really Stop like saying too. slaps. I'll find some other words to come up with as this goes along. I've made some Don't worry, I got some more surprises. But even and, uh, <laughs> But uh I, I had more notes on this album. Unfortunately the cleaning lady threw it away. It was I left it at my desk and then The well the Eastbound is one of those rare, you know. Sometimes when bands come on the scene, their first single, not always the greatest. Like, it's good. It's good enough to kind of open the door, but it's not the best. You know what I mean? This is one of those rare instances where, like, if that's your first impression of Jack Soul, that's a great one. Plus, he gives exactly. he gives a shout out to the Hammer, which is always nice. And Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely got a big flashbacks from the Philosopher King's first album. I think you remember I was talking about how... Um, Kind of like romantic restaurant music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. How Dimly you can have room. this in a yeah. really nice bistro with the mood lighting sure. down. Just like that. And that's not to say, oh, it's elevator music or anything like that. To capture that mood is a big thing. And it's got that cool, almost Montreal, Toronto jazz vibe to it. Well, that that's I, that's the thing. It's like the well. to have a sound like this, you know, it's you have to have very good precision musically. Like he's got a good band around him. To match his yeah. his talented vocals. Yeah. And as you know, that band that I listed, some of the members would stay, some of them would go. It would basically be Hayden Neal and uh, a group of guest performers under the title of Jack Soul yeah. as uh, time went on, which has really become commonplace in this day and age. It didn't always, but now, you know, you got a side project. Usually it's just, it's often one or two people uh, spearheading it and, um, 
everyone else is just kind of filler. Yeah, well, that's uh, one of a band that I really liked. Say anything has kind of gone that route now. It's the lead singer Max, and uh, he's he's literally he phrased it once. He's like, "It's me and whoever I feel like playing that with that day." Yeah, yeah. Whoever gets to go on the road with me. Yeah. Well, like another band I know you're big into, Steely Dan. Yeah. It's just two guys. Yeah. And, and all these session musicians that came in over time. Yeah. They make those records, so it, it definitely became a thing as time went on. Yeah. So high regards for Absolute, um, critically, as you can imagine. So when he, the time came for his follow-up album, Sleepless, in April 4th of 2000, I think Hayden Neal definitely wanted to go commercial. You know what I mean? I've got the critical accolades I had now, but where I wanted to do what I wanted to do, now let's put this kind of pop-centric music out in the world, because it's a lot more pop, this follow-up. Yeah. Um, some of the guests that we talked about that were featured on this album, there's a lot of them. Uh, one of the touring musicians was James McCollum, who we talked about of the Philosopher Kings right. and Prozac. He played guitar on this album, and he knows a thing or two about soul music, Yeah, I would think. Um, you also had Canada's queen of R&B, Julie Black. You ever hear Seven Day Fool? That's a bop of a song. I love that one. She's featured prominently on this. I believe it's the first track that she's on. You can really hear her on the back of vocals. Um, and we'll likely do an episode of her at some point because I like keeping the R&B into the mix with the hip-hop and the rock uh, yeah. episodes. Um, you also had a Canadian music icon who was a guest on this, Liberty Silver. She has the distinction of being the first black woman to ever win a Juno. Huh. She's featured on this album. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like how um, – remember I mentioned that with um, uh, Hallucination. Yeah. How uh, they brought that guy who was the first indigenous artist ever played on much music on with them, you know? Yeah. Hey, Neil kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, respecting the past, uh, moving to the future kind of thing. Yeah. Now, I know I mentioned uh, the Philosopher Kings uh, with uh, James McCollum playing on this record. Actually, uh, this album was produced by Philosopher Kings keyboard player, John Rabbi Levine. Uh, and he'd get a little help from uh, Toronto rapper Jellystone, who produced a track on this. Remember Jellystone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Play a little bit of that. <laughs> How can you listen to that song and not smile? Oh, God. Oh, That's a throwback and a half so right good. there. On two oh, lots. My God. If only we recorded this on Thursday. Throwback Thursday, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? Do you remember? Um, did you ever have Mr. Allen for English? Yeah. He used to love that song. Oh, really? It was all about the Beatles, but except for that. Because, yeah, kids are pieces of shit. <laughs> They'd always ask him how much he made. And so he'd go, ah, oh, I'm just like that Jellystone guy. Money can't buy me happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think funny. of that with uh, with that. And actually, the track that he produced, Jellystone, was uh, a cover of Holland Oats. She's gone. Right. Oh, dude, that, didn't, yeah. that literally just hit me now. Flew under the radar, yeah. didn't it? There you go. He was busting out the cover songs before the cover's album. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what would thrust Sleepless into the mainstream eye was the earworm of a hit, Can't Stop. And I think that's where everyone heard of Jack Soul for the first time. Yeah. Can anybody feel me at all? I can't stop loving you, baby. And this was a 
funky little pop R&B ditty proved to be a huge hit north of the border, reaching number eight on the Canadian singles charts and making it all the way to number two on the Much Music Countdown. What fucker stood in its way? <laughs> Grinds my gears. A great song that only makes it to number two. That was the first time I had heard of Jack Soul. And I think why I liked it so much is what we mentioned. Like the, the, the R&B scene at the time was very, very, very pop. You had your ushers. Um, who was that guy? Craig? Was it Craig Mack? The English R&B guy? I think so. Try to think of other like R&B, male R&B solo artists at the time. Yeah. B2K, 112. There's some others. But they were marketing them as almost boy groups. Yeah. And then you get this guy. It's, it's very, it's just a catchy tune. It's upbeat. Um, and if you really think think about it, got a great it, piano line. Yeah. If you also think about it, it's almost very uh, prophetic in the sense of because uh, like, back in two thousand, people's mental health was not on people's forefront. He's talking about. <laughs> I don't think you meant it in a deep way, though. You know what I mean? Like I'm just saying. What do you mean? When you fall in love. Right? When yeah. you fall in love and you become you, – the, these feelings bubble up. The first instinct you often have, especially if you've had your heart broken before, is to question it. Is to second guess, are these feelings real? Yeah. Or am I just – you know, I, and that is what I think he's more referring to than – Mental health is very important. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's some anthem for Bell Let's Talk Day. Like, calm down. I'm just saying, like, people okay. weren't throwing that into lyrics these days, or like in those days. I mean, and they. I see what you mean. People weren't even like talking about it, or if they were, it was very buried, and to the point where like it didn't really resonate. That one is just like clear as day. Just threw it on the table. Yeah, but or it's just not so blunt, you know. They yeah. usually just throw their mental health homework into their song lyrics, and yeah, that's where you get some really dark imagery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I do apologize if I'm talking over you for making a bigger deal about certain points. I had a late coffee this afternoon at work, and uh, I might just have a little bit extra juice in me than I usually have. That's all right, because I'm uh, I'm dead weight. My my brain is just in the toilet. I'm just like, oh, this is gonna sound so good with us on two different parallels of thought right now. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta drink some coffee before we do this, Brian. Well, as popular as it was, Can't Stop was also a success with critics and other musicians, as it was listed as one of Canada's most performed pop songs by SoCan in 2001. And it was nominated for Single of the Year at the 2001 Juno Awards. Unfortunately, it would lose to that runaway train that was Nelly Furtado and her song, I'm Like a Bird. Wow. And you know, that is, that is one where... I know at the time, I definitely liked Jack Soul more. Oh, yeah. I get why they gave the award to Nelly Furtado, so I'm not going to question it, but I definitely like that more. Oh, 100%. I still do. Yeah. I'm Like a Bird uh, is such a basic song. It's hot garbage. Well, you, you can kind of break it down that there's nothing wrong with being a basic song, because you can break uh, Can't Stop Loving You is a basic song. Yeah, I guess. It is. It's nothing com- complex about it. It's just, it's well sung. Uh, it's catchy. It's upbeat. And you can put it on any kind of format of radio station, and no one's going to complain about it. So, I guess basic ain't a bad thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, hey. yeah. Anyway, I just want, I want talking, retroactively. We're talking about making hits here, Brian. Making dollars. 
retroactively. Would... He should have got it. No, that's fair. Hey, I'm I'm on the school that we should be doing these award shows a decade after the stuff's released, just to see how it sits in with the social conscience. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Anyway, where was I? Oh, but you know what? The 2001 Juno Awards would not be a lost cause for Hayden Neal as uh, he'd win Best R&B and Soul Recording that year, um, which would be quite the streak going forward. He kind of dominated that category for quite a long time. And I'll tell you something else about that category. Here's another part where the Junos are weird. You can be nominated for Best R&B and Soul Recording for either a single or an album. So you've got singles and albums battling it out against each other for that award. So if you have a shit album, but you have one really good song, and it's just a, a lean year, you could win that category. Right. Just because you got one really good bop. Stupid! Separate them out! <laughs> Come on! Make people earn these awards! Jeez. Do you <laughs> I mean, I thought Sleepless was a solid pop release. Yeah. Uh, wasn't anywhere near the soul, the soul gold that was found on Absolute, but it was a different kind of album. Well, I think I texted you a couple weeks ago because I think you, because of uh, the baby and everything, you were kind of put yeah. Jack Soul in the back burner, and I had been really going heavily into it, and I texted you. I'm like, dude, albums one and three, rip. And uh, yes. I never said I never had point, I never had a problem with this one. I just like I, the, I love those two so much. This one kind of got overshadowed, but I still liked it a lot. It's actually kind of funny because now that I've listened to the entire discography, um, it's actually probably the weakest album. Yeah, and we found that a couple of times where the biggest album or the game changer, if you will, is actually their weakest release. That's yeah. happened in a couple of spots before. So, no shame in it. It's not a bad album at all. I really like how Hayden Neal dabbles into a bunch of different genres. He does some pop. Uh, he does a little bit of soul. Um, he has some, like, orchestral sounds that come into this as well. I really liked. Um, and there's a real good kind of three-song swing yeah. on here I liked. Um, start with uh, Some Days. favorite song on this album. We used to play that one when I was at Moose FM in Caledonia, and I always really love Sundays. You get the nice classical guitar laden, Never Say Goodbye, and then the extremely funky She's Gone, back to back to back. Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed that little uh, section. Yeah, I was going to say the back the back half of the album really, uh, or the, sorry, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like I guess the it's upper the middle. Middle. It's, middle. It's not quite at the top of yeah. yet. And there's a lot of other good songs too, but these are just the ones that stood out for me. Yeah. Also, I'm noticing a trend, too. He's just looking at the album covers. Jack Soul was really proud of his biceps. He's all shirtless on, like, two of the three or two of the four albums. <laughs> That's an R&B thing, though. You know, like, if you look like back on some yeah, of the Isaac Hayes album covers, the man never wore a shirt. Yeah. All right, Al Green. Hit, there's, well, I yeah. think there's one album where it's literally just That's him shirtless just staring just right there at the camera. No shirt on. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's it called? Oh, yeah, you get those, the shot of just the bare chest. You know the chains coming. Yeah, down. I think um, I think Marvin Gaye had a couple like yeah. that too, 
or his were more just like close-ups of his face, but I don't know. They were they're not coy about their bodies. Those, those soul <laughs> singers. The uh, you know the the, the, the music they're sex. trying to put out exactly. You think yeah. sex when you see the album cover, and you listen to the album, it doesn't disappoint. Well, it's like imagine if uh, Rag and Bone Man, the guy's got a beautiful voice, but imagine his album cover was just like him on the couch of his like stained shirt eating Rag chips. Rag and Bone so Man, yeah, big, doesn't he have like a bunch of face tattoos? Yeah, a he's got a bunch of face tattoos too, doesn't he? I know he has a bunch of tattoos. I don't know about I face tattoos, but I'd be really surprised if what he looked like. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Well, first of all, I was surprised he was white. <laughs> yeah, he's very bluesy. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Can't make judgments. Based on someone's voice, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyway, where was I here? Oh, yeah. What else you got to say about Sleepless? No, it was just, uh, it, this is the thing. It might not stand out in terms of, like, a lot of, like, big bops like this, some of the other ones, but it's just a solid, enjoyable mm-hmm. album. I, I can start to finish without skipping and yeah. love it. I've listened to it a handful of times already, and yeah. it's been great. You can put it on when you're having the whole family over for Thanksgiving dinner, and no one's going to sneeze at it. It's exactly. All right. Well, you'd figure when you had a landmark album like Sleepless was in terms of sales, um, you'd want to jump back right back onto the horse, right, and put out something else to follow it up and build up that popularity. Uh, but Hayden Neal didn't do that. He took four years off between the release of Sleepless and his follow-up, Resurrected. And during that time, Neil was cast in the jazz opera Quebecite Quebecite that debuted at the 2003 Guelph Jazz Festival. And uh, he'd also get a job at Humber College as part of its summer songwriting workshop. And he would eventually serve as the president of the Songwriters Association of Canada. And you don't get those jobs... If you are not highly regarded in your field, like Mr. Neal was. Yeah. Let's talk about Resurrection. Two singles in 2004 would come from this release. You had Shady Day. I say someone tell me why. Even the stars up in the sky. Inspire you to shine, they're on your side. I'm having a shady day. I had a real hard work day. And the ultra soulful, you're gonna put this on Soul Train. Still believe in love. You got to know what's still believe Yeah, you know what's still believe Which would become the number one most spun Canadian track on the radio. And at the very same time, it was the most overall spun track on all formats of Canadian radio in 2004. It's a freaking great song. You know, that. I... It's this album was so good. Like I, like, I think you should know. Kicked it off, and then getting it on was great. And then it goes into a single. And then my two of my favorites were the river, and I also loved uh, Love Jones and uh, Saved. I love those ones. But like even the the other ones you named. And then it kick, kicks on into Still Believe in Love, and then. Uh, it's so good. It's a great album. Whole album it's is great album. phenomenal. Great album. Uh, okay, before we get into Still Believe in Love, which I loved because I loved yeah. the, uh, what's it called, the horns. And that, that scratched an itch for me because that was when I was really going back during my backtracking and discovering a lot of 70s, like funk and R&B. And right. it, only having like LimeWire as a resource was actually kind of <laughs> hard because it was hard to access back then. 
Um, having this song out in the public uh, eye just made me really, really happy hearing this on the radio yeah. all the time at the at the time. Uh, and then what was the one that you mentioned? Was it Love Jones? Uh, well, that getting it on, uh, Love Jones yes. is one I liked. Yeah. Getting it on, I had. I said I loved the xylophone, and it reminded me of the Jackson Five. Yeah. And then I had uh, Love Jones reminded me of Horse by No Name by America. Because it had that kind of drive and bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other one I really liked was uh, Every Sunrise. It had a nice 50s kind of guitar line. I really liked that one. And uh, kind of, this is, we talked about Al Green. This whole album reminds me of Al Green. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very Al and, Green-esque. Do you know what I wish? I wish I listened to more stuff like this when we were in band. And uh, because then might maybe we wouldn't have been putting all our soul energy on using our horns. So like, we got to start a ska band. <laughs> no, maybe we could be like, you and I could have been some nice fill-ins. Like, oh, uh, we're in a jazz quartet. We just need some, like, basic horns. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just, like, kind of, like, laid a little foundation. You know what I mean? We could have done that. I, and I, I always say that when we get a band, when they have an album that's filled with horns, I always say, you know what? We we need more of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always get really, really excited. Like, yeah, don't mark me wrong. We are ska fanatics. Skanatics. Oh, 100%. You know? And I was a huge fan of the Swing Revival as well. And another band I used to get, I used to listen to a ton was Dave Matthews Band, just because they had the sax mm-hmm. there. You know what I mean? And it was some kind of different right. sound. I just love the vibe of horns. And that's why I've always liked this old uh, soul and R&B and funk, because the horns are always present there. Yeah. Uh, whenever we hear a group that's not Chicago... That has yeah. big a big horn section. I always get so happy, and I wish more bands would expand upon that. Because and not only that, that back in like the seventies, in the, like the sixties, seventies, horn players and like even if they just were session guys, yeah, they were brand names in their own right. Mm-hmm. Well, like, uh, like you know, this like I was watching Blues Brothers recently. I've been on, I was on a Blues yeah. Brothers kick, and you know, it's like some of those guys were so in demand. In the in their heyday, mm-hmm. and look at Bones Malone, the trombone player. Yep. That guy's been all over, and like that stood out to me because I played trombone. And Bones Malone also played tenor sax on a bunch of those songs too. And right. Tom Bones Malone that. was in David Letterman's band for years and yeah. years and years. Yeah, and I think I t- told you I saw Blue Lou Marini play with uh, James Taylor when I saw James Taylor live. He was part of his uh, yeah. fun section. That was cool. Yeah. He got a bunch of solos and stuff like that. And James Taylor's like, he was in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> no one looks like that. Of course he was in the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I did have one actually small gripe with this album. As good oh, as really? it was. Yeah. Uh, I thought the politically minded song Saved felt a little out of place. Hmm. And that's not me saying politics don't belong in music. Music and politics go hand in hand. It just took me out of my groove. That's fair. That's all it was because I don't know. It like I'm listening to this song. This got this great '70s vibe, and this whole album, and then suddenly he's talking about issues of today. It was like a little break, snap back into reality. Right. And I think I was just enjoying being lost in time. That I didn't want to snap back into the horrors of modern life. Well, I mean, it was 2000. Well, actually. 
Yeah, things were probably downhill pretty quickly in 2004. <laughs> I was going to say, if, uh, if it was the 90s, the things were good in the late 90s, because I was pre-9-11, but yeah, yeah you're right. Wow. 2004, they were full of wreck. Uh, things were just shit. They, were, they hadn't even moved on to the second Bush presidency yet. No, that, was, second, that was the start of his uh, second presidency. Well, sorry, the yeah. second of his four, yeah, I guess the back half of his four years, but cause he was there for eight, right? Yeah, that's when he beat yeah. uh, Kerry. Right. Yeah. Was that the Hanging Chad? No, Hanging Chad was 2000. Okay. Yeah. This was just, I don't know. They, they, you know, it was another one of those ones where Kerry won the popular vote. But the, this was more than the Electoral College. I remember in uh, current events, we all learned about how the Electoral College works after uh, Bush got reelected. Uh, yeah, but top notch album. And now we're really yeah. getting into the, uh, you know, Singing our praises and being little yeah. fanboys again because they, they keep getting they keep getting good after this. Um, oh, also, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I noticed. I'm looking at the albums on Spotify here, and I'm noticing a trend that he's taking his time with each album. Like even like when he's you know a young artist, normally that's when they're most productive. He there's a reason why these albums are so good because, like you said, he's got that ear. He's taking his time. He's not rushing out some piece of crap. Yeah. And so that's why it's the the first big three. There's four years in between each one. Well, you know what? Let's right. let's go right to it. Because I was going to save it for the end, but you brought it up. Okay? We always scratch our heads at the end of these episodes. Why didn't this band make it big? Why isn't this band still talked about today? I honestly don't think Hayden Neal cared. The music yeah. was something he loved. He got paid to do it. He wasn't going to put yeah. a steaming turd out in the world. He wasn't going to put something out until he was happy with it. And you're right. He wanted to take his time with it. He wanted to do some theater. He wanted to, you know, help others learn how to write songs like he could. You know? Yeah. And that's why he was so well-regarded and well-respected. And he was a family yeah. man, too. He had a daughter uh, and a wife. And spending time with them and getting to come home to 5 o'clock was an important thing for him. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's also why... Uh, you know, his band was made up of odds and ends because that way if people are like, hey man, I got to pay the bills here. I'm going to jump in in this other band or something or we're going to go on tour here until you're ready to record or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Until you're ready to tour. And he's like, that's fine. Peace. You know, <laughs> I can see him like, I'll see you when I see you down the road, brother man. Well, yeah, I'm sure he doesn't talk like that. But, but. no, you, but you're... Ex Sorry, I thought I heard the door knock. But you're exactly right. You know what I mean? That The way it was structured, it was that, hey, you can come in at any time. He's making friends across the music industry. He knows everybody and all these people. He gets to work with people he loves. Like, yeah. You can't think of a better job than that. That sounds awesome. Anyway, yeah. we're not going to go to a full analysis at the end of this episode. Spoiler alert. Because I think we figured it out right away. He just didn't need to be the biggest R&B star in the world. He got to make the music he loved and he was happy with that. Yeah, and he could uh, you know, between that and like his other jobs, he could put a provide for his family. Yeah. And so he didn't need to bust his ass touring like seven nights a week, you know what I mean? Exactly. Coming home hate resenting the music industry. He could still appreciate it because that machine, that meat grinder of how it's, uh, you know, record, tour, record, tour. That just wasn't his bag. And uh, so he, he put his heart into each album because he had the time to do it. Well, as you can imagine, it got Brian acclaim, got Ted acclaim, got some critical acclaim <laughs> as well. 
Uh, and uh, Jack Soul would be again nominated for Best R&B and Soul Recording at the 2005 Junos. Well, unfortunately, they lose that award that year to Keisha Shante and her debut album. Which, That's bullshit. Uh, she had got a big rocket attached to her back uh, when yeah. she debuted Keisha Shante. So it's not that big a surprise, especially considering Jack Soul had won it previously. That happens sometimes. Uh, however, they would still secure a Canadian Urban Music Award that year. So... Uh, Resurrected did take home some hardware. Coming up next, on June 20th, 2006, Jack Soul would release the album My Soul. Now, it would contain one original song. That was the kickoff track, One Song, uh, which is a great little tune. I really like that. Yeah. That's, we played that uh, the hell out of that when I was in Caledonia as well. Jack Soul was very popular on our station. <laughs> uh, but then you had this weird hodgepodge of cover songs that just covered a wide spectrum of genres. It almost seemed like if you were to just put these on as how they were released originally, it would look like, okay, someone got a CD burner for Christmas and they're just putting something together to see how it works. Like there's yeah. no real rhyme or reason to these. Uh, I think, sorry to jump in, because I'm going over the track listings and I think you could almost... I mean, timeline-wise, time it's not cohesive, but, like, when you look at some of the eras of the music... Yeah. I think, uh, like, the 90s stuff that he covered, like, the was probably stuff he was listening to when he was a bit younger in, like, high school or college. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, things that were popular, Blue, Blue Rodeo, The Pumpkins, Radiohead, uh, Jane's Addiction, and, and then the older stuff, the Superfly... Uh, the TKO, Sam Bowie, Sam Cook, thank you, um, was stuff maybe his parents raised him on. So maybe it's like the generation, this is me being purely speculative, pulling this out of my ass on the fly, but maybe it's just like the generational, like this is music that I was into or my family was into, and so I want to do my take on it. Where does Ashley or Simpson come in on that? Uh, it's a big steaming turd that he polished into a diamond. That's what that fucking was. Well, okay, you know what? Let's 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 talk about that song because there's a few of these songs, Brian, that really jumped out at me. And that's kind I listened of the... to that one five times today. Did you really? I I could not stop. I, okay, I love that cover because here's the thing with this album, which I think is a lot of fun. You get to he he does his own take on all of these. All yeah. of these have definitely they, – they don't sound like the original tunes except for maybe Superfly. I thought Superfly yeah. and maybe These Eyes a little bit kind of sound a little bit more like the originals and some of the other ones. Um, yeah. But everything else he just makes his own. And there was a couple of ones in particular I wanted to bring up. And one of them was Pieces of Me because it is yeah. the one that sticks out like a sore thumb when you look at the, uh, <laughs> the track listing. Um, it's kind of funny. I remember all of the hate – that Ashley Simpson got gathered when she came when she became a because she didn't like organically become a celebrity. It was like MTV said, "Hey, Jessica Simpson's got a sister. We are giving her a reality show so you guys can understand that she's famous, and then we're gonna give her a recording <laughs> contract, and you just got to deal with her from now on." That's what it felt like. And this is before the SNL yeah. fiasco and everything like that. And so I think that it, she just felt very, very um, prefabricated. Before she even released an album. And so yeah. when she puts out a song like Pieces of Me, which is a very well-written song for oh, a pop yeah. song. It is. 
And I don't think Ashley Simpson had a horrible voice. I just think that at that time we were fed up. We don't need another Jessica Simpson. We're fed up with the 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 the, the studio made artists that didn't do anything to deserve this. Yeah, I think it just got ignored and written off because of who was behind it and how the label and MTV and whoever was behind Ashley Simpson pulled her strings. So then, of course, the SNL thing happened and she lost all of her credibility. And really, Pieces of Me kind of became a forgotten piece of the mid-2000s. Yeah. Now, you listen to it five times. How does Hayden Hale show you that this is actually a well-put-together song? How does he polish Um, the turd, as you say? Well, first of all, the chorus. Like, that chorus just swells. Like, it just very, like, really punches it up. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, like... Ashley Simpson, it's been forever since I've heard that <laughs> song, but uh, I remember like the pieces of me part was really kind of like, not whispery, but it was just like, it wasn't sung competently, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. And also, the reason why, you know, that was such a good, well-written pop song is because one of the guys who wrote that song, I just looked it up, he wrote for Westlife, and he wrote a lot of songs for Take That, wrote a oh, song for Sheryl Crow, Goo Goo Dolls, Bon Jovi. Yeah. So that guy's uh, uh, that guy's writing all the pop stuff. So there's a reason for it. Hey, but, you should have um, just discovered Hayden Neal earlier. Yeah. <laughs> just give it. Stop wasting his time with Ashley Simpson and just give this to him right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they added. Uh, if me- they added some horns to it, they added just like they just added so much to it. Yeah. Yeah. It really, and really it was just, a great cover. Yeah. Uh, and then you know you take a cover like what they did with High and Dry. Okay, we can talk about High and Dry. I got one I want to bring up after this, but let's okay. go, go ahead with High and Dry because that is a song I was actually excited to hear what he could do with this because I yeah. I know you don't like Radiohead and I don't like Radiohead basically. I'm like 50-50 on OK Computer. Uh, I don't like the experimental stuff after OK Computer, but The Benz I think is a phenomenal yeah. album and I no, think I, that I res- High and Dry I res- is one of the, their best songs. I respect the Benz and their early rock stuff. Yeah. It just, you know me. Someone know says you. go right, I'm going left. So when all these people blowing smoke up my ass about Radiohead, I'm like, no, no, fuck that. Uh, so, I mean, actually, it was a ongoing history of new music three-parter on Radiohead that actually gave me a bit of more respect to them. I still haven't gone back and like listened to their stuff, but I've heard the Benz. It's a good album. I'll give it that. Um, but yeah, it just... You don't know if they were going to do what he was going to do with just like the little xylophone. Yeah. And it just very felt very spacey. And and then like that's when the, everything just got dialed up to 11 at the near the middle end part where it just like went and all the like, guitars kicked in. It was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like he was conducting an orchestra kind of. You know yeah. what I mean? song on this though 
was his cover has been caught stealing by Jane's Addiction. That really? one shocked me. Because I'm looking at the tracks and I'm like, well, how the fuck is he going to do this Because that song, in my mind, was kind of uncoverable. Because it's just basically just Perry Farrell rambling. Yeah. Uh, with kind of like a funky beat the weird, to it. And the dogs in there. Yeah. And all that weird shit. And, you know, I was actually kind of thinking that. I was like, do I actually even like this song? Like, I don't hate it. But, like, there are certain songs that are kind of like like the guidebook of the 90s rock. Um, yeah. Where they're just there. And you accept them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you yeah. don't have strong feelings towards them. It's just like, this is part of our lexicon as 90s rock kids. And yeah. Been Caught Stealing was on that list, basically. And I never really, I like, I, I always had it downloaded. I put it, I would put it on, I would never put it on mixes that I would make. Like, I really like these songs, but they'd be on like, uh, oh, Edge 102's Best 100 of All Time. And I was always doing right. that shit. Um, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, I actually don't think I like this song. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was then, thinking about it. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to say, because a couple of weeks back, I did like a, a, a revisit of Entourage. And obviously their song Superman yeah. is the theme song. And so I was thinking, I'm like, it's not that great of a song. Like, I've heard the full thing. And yeah. I'm like, it's okay. And so I think what really makes Perry Farrell... I mean, uh, Jane's Addiction, I think I haven't heard their whole discography. Maybe their non-album or their non-singles are a bit better, but I think just because of like their involvement with Lollapalooza and being such a staple of that 90s rock like scene yeah. and the festival, and so I think when people think of the 90s or mid-90s, they think, oh, Jane's Addiction's always yeah. there, one of the people that comes up with. Yeah, but, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah like we said, yeah. But yeah, so that was just a thought I had about it. But sorry, you you talk about your love of Ben Cot stealing. Well, he turned this into a funk bomb. Yeah. Like this thing is so funky, and he's able to make that. You know, he, they would do these like bootsy. It's almost like a bootsy. Collins kind yeah. of thing. He turns the rambling of Perry Farrell into like these bootsyisms. Like he's not quite doing the booby dooby baba booby, right? But he's doing his own. Like he's floating along the top of this really funky bass. And uh, my God, I remember pulling into the driveway. I was out doing errands and pulled into the driveway. And uh, the song was playing as I pulled in, and Brim was like, "What oh, was that that you were playing? That sounded awesome. Like, it was Jack Soul covering Been Caught Stealing." That was my favorite track on this album. I, I wow. thought it was awesome. Yeah, uh, one that another one that I really liked was I. It's been so because I, I never really listened to Bowie, so I don't even know how this holds up to the original. But I really liked the Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Um, and I am curious because we did two bloody parts on uh, Blue Rodeo. What is your feelings on their tri cover? Oh, loved it, loved it. He was friends with uh, Jim Cuddy. They were tight, him and uh, Jim Cuddy. So, of course, he probably got that um, 
um, with some approval from the band themselves. Um, I thought it was great. It was acoustic. He didn't do that much different with it, but it was different enough. And I'm glad he got some CanCon on there because I love that. Canadian artists always seem to cover American or English artists. When you cover your peers up here in Canada, it just gives those songs new life and pushes them forward. So I wish more Canadian artists would do that. Um, and it was, I was really glad that, yeah, he covered these eyes, but that was a big international hit. I was happy how he covered Try. I really was. I was glad that, to see that inclusion. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, as random as the song selection uh, might be, Critics, including me and you. I, I take it that you love this album because I love this album. Oh, Siskel's or Ebert's all Ebert's, around. Yeah, Siskel's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of, but like, look, when we get a conversation going like this about an album, a covers album, that's always a good thing. Um, well, I, I, when I hosted my little radio show in uh, University of Windsor, mm-hmm. every every once in a while, I'd throw a whole covers themed album. And the guy, there's this guy, Frank, who uh, he had a show called Knuckle Sandwich. It's all Canadian music, but very nice guy. He just had a very dull radio delivery. Not much life. Like, cause, so his thing was more like, because I was, I treated it more like typical radio. I'd play a few songs and I'd do a back sell. He would play like 30 minutes worth of music, do one long back sell, then go and maybe do like a quick talk bit. And then go into more music because oh, he 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 was more in it for the music. Yeah. I was trying to be more like a personality type. Sure. And and uh, so he every he would listen to the station when he came in. And he, when I did the covers episodes, he's like, "The hell's with all the damn covers? Like I hate covers." And, blah, blah, blah. and then uh, <laughs> and then the station manager Brady came in. I played uh, Devo's cover of I think it was Working in a Coal Mine. Sure. Or no, uh, sorry, they Can't did a cover no of Satisfaction. Yeah, that was their yeah, big cover uh, yeah. He came in, he's like, I love that. I was like, I forgot they did this. <laughs> so I'm getting different people coming at me with the cover shift. Everyone's got their own opinions about covers. And doing a covers album is risky. Um, but when you do it, you got to reinvent yourself. And you can't just do the same genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know our boy Gerald Eaton, uh, sorry, slash Jarvis Church, he did a whole album of Sam Cooke and a whole album of Curtis Mayfield, and those are great. Yeah. But when you get like making a mixtape like this, especially when the genres are so widespread, whoo, yeah. you know, it, 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 you're talking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's like a tri- It's like you get like a tribute album. You bought tribute albums before, right? Oh yeah, that's how yeah. I got into certain bands at first. Yeah. That's how we both did. When you buy that, you go, especially when it's of bands that you really really know, you go track by track. What did this artist do? What did this add? This is just him pouring his soul out there. This is what Jack Soul did with all these different tracks from other artists. It's like a tribute album yeah. in reverse. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it would win the uh, 2007 Juno Award for R&B and Soul Recording of the Year. So it's good to see an artist that finally wins a bunch of Junos, huh? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, <laughs> that, that, that is it. That is a testament right there to his talent when he can take other people's work and win an award for it. I know. He's, he's not, uh, he's not putting his own heart. It's like, oh, I put like four years in this shit. And it's like, no, he's like, I just beefed up 14 other people's songs and suck it. That's how good I am. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to take a dark turn on yeah, this episode. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. In the summer of 2007, 
Hayden Neal began working on the group's fifth studio album. When disaster struck, he was riding his Vespa scooter along Kennedy Road in Toronto when he was involved in a collision with a Honda Civic. Neal was in critical condition following the crash, actually suffered some brain injuries, and fell into a coma. However, his condition did steadily improve into January of that year, and he was eventually able to return to the studio and complete work on what would be his final album, Soulmate. Uh, I should also note that the 20-year-old driver that was involved in the crash uh, was uh, charged with making an unsafe turn. So, kind of sad, kind of fascinating about our, how our buddy Malcolm died. Because yeah. um, he was killed in an accident where the other driver made an unsafe turn. Whew, man, you gotta be careful. Yeah. And he was driving a motorcycle and Hayden Neal was on a Vespa. So, yeah. that's why whenever I see... Someone riding a motorcycle. I give them all the fucking space in the world. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. when I see, you know, a couple of weeks back, I did a nice long rant about my opinions of people on bikes yeah. and how uh, I want to door them. But uh, in in reality, I give those people a wide berth. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is remotely clip them. You know, the worst is in the States, how certain states you don't have to wear a helmet. And I remember I was driving through Minnesota. I was going in to see a Twins game. And as we're getting into this final stretch going into Minneapolis, heavy traffic, guy on his motorcycle, no helmet, pulls up right in front of, in front of the car. And then we go into like one lane traffic. And I was like so slow. All it. these cars are behind me because I didn't want to get too close to the guy because I'm like, okay, had you had a helmet, I could follow you a little bit closer because I know, okay, you're, you're not going to look like a ripe cantaloupe on the on the pavement. <laughs> this guy would know how. He was bald, too, so he needed his hair to help him out. Not like that would make any difference. I, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. But I gave him a wide berth, as you can imagine. Anyway. Yeah. Although it's like, uh, you know, some people, when peop when they don't wear helmets, some people have very mixed reactions. Because remember when Ben Roethlisberger got in his accident? I think this was before the sexual assault allegations. Like, yeah. some people weren't sympathetic. We're like, that fucking moron should have been. He wears a helmet, like, 16 weeks of the year. He practices in the damn thing. He's wearing a helmet yeah. on your bike. Abusey. He got into oh, yeah. an accident with no helmet. He almost died. Claimed the Grim Reaper came to his bedside that night and talked to him. Um, suffered brain injuries. Yeah. And then he came out against helmets, saying they cut down to your peripheral vision. Yeah, but this is the guy who's like, <laughs> I saw the Grim Reaper. He told me to relax. I'm like, I'm sure the Grim Reaper would not tell you to relax. Hey, relax, guy. <laughs> Do your uh, Busey impression. Well, I, what do I say that's Busey? I don't know, just what I said. He told me to relax. Uh, I saw the Grim Reaper come into my bedside. He spun his, spun his sickle around, and I said, Oh, Mr. Reaper, I'm here to take my soul. And he said, relax. And he said he'd been <laughs> given gifts at birth that he was now ready to receive. And he would always say, well, what are these fucking gifts? They, you know those Buseyisms that he does? Where he's like, yeah. try means tomorrow's really yesterday. He tried. <laughs> But it was really gone, you see. Like, that was the gifts. The Buseyisms were the gifts of the Grim Reaper. Right. He literally later said that. I'm like, that's it? He gave you like a funny acronym game? Well, not only that. I mean, it, it gave him that hilarious short-lived show, I'm with Busey, where he's friggin' insane. And his whole persona on Entourage, where he's this friggin' nut. Yes. That's, so. that's true. Bu Busey was smart. 
in the fact that he took this horrible tragedy and he made it into a character. Yeah. Because so, I think they say, like, he does have trouble. And if you see him, like, I, I remember he was on Wife Swap once. And I watched this episode of Wife Swap. And he, his biggest issue, he actually has a lot of trouble focusing. Because he's got, like, ADD, I think, on, on top of the, the brain injury. Um, and you, they have to repeat things to him. And he'd repeat the same questions over and over again. That's where the big issue is. But in terms of him being crazy and out there, that is Busey just marketing himself. Yeah. Which is, is brilliant. You know, the thing, one more thing about Busey, because we don't talk about him enough on this show. We just have the <laughs> Busey breakdown every week. Um, when you meet Gary Busey and you take a selfie with him, what he'll do is he'll tickle you to get a, a <laughs> smile. <laughs> he get a smile on you. He does it. He puts his arms around you. He tickles you. <laughs> That's, the, That's so funny. The Busey special right there. What's the what's the hilarious line from uh, I'm with Busey when he's doing when he's he's got Adam in the earpiece and he's trying to feed him oh, lines on the oh, date. The first, there's two. There's two. For first, he Adam had another date set up that he was gonna go on. This is a show that was on Comedy Network. I'm with Busey with this writer who was um, friends with Gary Busey and they go on adventures basically. And he Adam had a date. Busey stepped in and changed the date at the last second. And he was like, why'd you change my date? And he goes, I saw a picture of that girl. And she looked like the queen of a goat rodeo. <laughs> and then the other thing was he decided to put a two radio in Adam's ear while he had dinner with this woman. And Busey went, uh, ask her if she knows what it's like to have the Loch Ness Monster in between her legs. <laughs> and then he showed up with a guitar at the end. And, he's like serenading uh, them. Yeah, and then the girl was like all impressed. She's like, it's you. It's Gary Busey. And she named all these movies. And he's like, well, actually, those are Nick Nolte movies. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she just like, why is Gary Busey here? And Adam's just like, oh, he's my friend. He's like, you know Gary Busey. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Why'd you lead off with that? <laughs> yeah, all of me. I feel, I feel bad because like we're taking this on this comedic route. Well, Jack's, uh, well, Hayden Neal's got this tragedy going oh, on. I well, feel like an asshole. I, I was going to say, okay, look, this is for our viewers, okay? We came through a pretty, pretty rough tragedy. Unfortunately, things are going to get worse. Yeah. So we weren't trying to have any disrespect to the, the poor guy when he was involved in this car accident. We're just kind of bracing our audience for a little bit of a distraction because now the real shit is about to begin. He would have two full recoveries. The first recovery he had from the motor, uh, motorcycle accident, he actually – he had a, he suffered a, a setback. And then he went through it again. Eventually, he was fully recovered. But unfortunately from him early into 2009, despite being a non-smoker for his most of his life I – mean, maybe his entire life. I don't know his history if he had a cigarette when he was a kid at a party. But he was a non-smoker. Sure. He was diagnosed with lung cancer. That rare type with no symptoms, it just kind of comes to get you. Yeah. And he ultimately died November 22nd at Toronto's Mount Sinai Hospital. How sad is that? He was only, hey, I had it written down. So 39 years right? old. He didn't even make 40. Yeah. Now, granted, a life well lived. Yeah. But who knows what kind of stuff he could have done? Just even in terms of mentoring the next generation, who knows what kind of stuff oh, he could have yeah. done? You know, it could have been so much bigger. I don't think he's he's going to look back at his life now that he's gone and feel like, ah, oh, you know, I really wasted it. The guy didn't. All right? He had a wife he loved. He had a beautiful daughter. He had a terrific career. 
But it's and, just a shame uh, that he's gone. Yeah, it's because yeah, it's because I mean, obviously, nobody wants someone else to die. Yeah. But it's also it's uh you know from a selfish point of view, we were just robbed of what could have been some phenomenal music. And even like you said earlier at the start of the show, that he almost like his music almost had like a s- score aspect to it. Yeah. He he could have very well pivoted into movies and scoring things and yeah. uh, especially you know being being a, a singer of black singer uh you know and there, there's been a huge uptick in you know black run productions and like he could have lent his voice to so many great things especially canadian um, you know like there, there yeah, needs oh, yeah. you know um you know we talk about the music right now that's coming out you know and how the, the canadian urban scene drake the weekend all these guys are really blowing up down south and he doesn't fall into that category no um, it's not his scene but still you know it, it it's as good as it is to see these uh young black canadian musicians make it outside of canada you kind of feel sad for the guys that got left behind does that make sense yeah the guys oh, that you know that they, they were just too early you know yeah yeah anyway soulmate would be released posthumously on december 1st and all proceeds from album sales went to the hayden neal family trust in fact my parents have this album. Oh. Yeah, because my brother was, my brother got into Jack Soul when he worked at uh, Starbucks. They would play um, the My Soul album, the covers album, all the time. And I first That's found cool. out about, you know, I'm doing Ashley Simpson and the Smashing Pumpkins from him. Alex told me that. Right. He heard, this is weird. He'd look, it was Jack Soul. Yeah, yeah. So. My parents, Christmas one year, he got in the stocking. He was like, great. You know? So, yeah, we had this album. Uh, but I wouldn't listen to it until we did this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Neil would produce this one along with Ron Lopata, who I believe was the original keyboard player uh, when Jack Soul got put together. Yes, he was. And um, this album would also produce the singles All I Need. Very soulful and kind of just sad feeling, Lonesome Highway. Yeah. Uh, we played that quite a bit when I was on, um, uh, what's it called, uh, in Caledonia at the Moose. And just after he died was when I really started noticing it getting played. And uh, I'd always do the album. The late and legendary Hayden Neal and Jack Soul. I'd always had this kind of morose voice because it was sad. You know what I mean? Here's yeah. this, what, What's the deal with those posthumous releases always being sad? Like Change is Going to Come by Sam Cooke. Sad song. Yeah. Sitting above the dock of the bay. Sad song. You know, if you want to look at what I got, you could look at it like a sad song. You know? Just how it is. Sure, there's songs yeah. on Life After Death by Notorious B.A.G. that are really sad. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Because yeah. most of them are about, you know, gangster shit. But still. I would say Ready to Die is a lot more sad than Life After Death. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, in the cases like a Sam Cooke and uh, Otis, it's, they just had so much. And Sam, uh, uh, Hayden Neal, they just had so much more left to say. Yeah. 
and it, it's, you're sad because it's uh, you're like oh, this is this is it. Yeah. I can't move. I can't go forward. I'm just stuck, and I got to go back to the his, the old stuff. And and uh, yeah, just it's sad. It's sad. You know, <laughs> not every episode is in rock and roll, man. Like this yeah. world is not designed for people to live incredibly long lives. I have no well, idea I mean, how Keith Richards does it. Apparently, he was born with some kind of gene that keeps him alive or something. Well, um, I mean, he goes to Switzerland and get like blood transfusions and all these like oxygen therapy really? and shit. I've heard things, yeah. That guy's like, he has a routine. It's like that one episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns has to go through that crazy routine of staying off death. (laughs) That's basically like Keith Richards had. But when you have that much money, you can. But, like, look at Buddy Holly. 22. Plane crash. Like, that is mental. And, like, the the guy's career at 22 had so much shit. Who knows? So much music. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I was trying to segue to that Kids in the Hall sketch where Kevin McDonald was Buddy Holly. Buddy fucking Holly. And I just couldn't find the right way to do it, so I kind of like just blatantly interrupted you with the All line right. of the no, sketch. It's fine. See if you can play a little bit of that. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Yeah. Huh? I'm fucking Buddy Holly. That's who I am. Right now, I'm on top of the fucking world. I'm 22, I got my whole life ahead of me. Who knows what great pop songs I'll write? Who knows what hard-working rock bands and towns like, I don't know, Liverpool, England. I'm being influenced by me right now. Oh, I will. Ah, there it is. <laughs> you know, fucking buddy, Holly. <laughs> I can tell you, I showed a guy at work that sketch once, thinking he'd find it funny. This is when I was in Caledonia. He was going off of Buddy Holly. He got so mad. <laughs> he got so mad by that sketch. He thought they were disrespecting Buddy Holly, and oh my god, I'm like no, it's a joke. It's it's so outrageous. Yeah, that's a, oh, he didn't get it. Like Buddy <laughs> Holly was Buddy Holly was seen as a very nice man. He wouldn't call La Bamba the yes word. <laughs> yes. Well, the other reason why um, he was taking the plane apparently is because he was sick. I didn't want to get like most of the crew like sick by sitting on the bus with them. Right. What was it? Was it Waylon Jennings that had to take the bus? Was it Waylon Jennings? I get Waylon Jennings and another guy mixed up all the time. The other country. <laughs> so bad. Conway Twit. No, I, not Conway Twit. It's Waylon Jennings. This other country. Merle Haggard. That's it. Waylon Jennings yeah. and Merle Haggard. I always get mixed up. Yeah. One of the two. I'm supposed to be there. Yeah, really. Anyway. I don't know. I, I got to double check. That. We're not talking about Merle Haggard or Waylon Jennings. All right. Talking about Jack Soul. Uh, you know, I really liked um I really liked this album. It's a short one. It's only ten tracks, but you gotta remember it's it's unfinished, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think it's definitely a good tribute to Hayden Neal's legacy. Um not as good as his last two, but again, it's unfinished. I loved the song, nine one one. I thought I was that about song to say that. I love that one. I thought that song was fire. <laughs> Slaps fire. What's wrong with you? That's what all happened. the kids at work say. All the young reporter yeah. kids. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Hey, That's uh, kids. Hey, hey, you. They're kids. Hey, dude, wear that turtleneck again uh, tomorrow. That look is fire. Ugh. A yeah, turtleneck is coming back big, by the way. All the kids are working in turtleneck. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's There's a few pictures of me as a kid. Man. The rock meme of him as a kid with the chain and the turtleneck brought back turtlenecks. Huh. 
Yeah. I don't this look at your pictures of me internally. That's because you got that big bulbous head and the, the fat I, neck. Oddly <laughs> enough, which is weird, while the turtleneck does make my head look fat, it makes my body look slim. It's a figure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of mix. But I got the beard. So the bearded Ted of the turtleneck's not a bad look. I played one year of select hockey, and we had to wear like we didn't have to wear suits or anything like that. We weren't that professional, but we each had a we had an Ancaster hockey turtleneck that we had to wear, and that was like our uniform for traveling. So that was my biggest memory of wearing a stupid turtleneck. <laughs> that picture was one of the cool ones, though, where they they crested the neck, like you'd see yeah, back in like the '93 yeah, World Series, all the Jays players yeah. had a little Jays logo on the neck of the turtleneck. Yeah, it had Ancaster just crested right it's on the neck. A, it's, it's 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 a jock look, is what it is. Yeah, uh, but nine nine one one that song was fire. As the, oh, I even wrote it as the kids say. Look at that. And I, I really like the Lionel Richie '80s vibes on the song "I Surrender." I was listening. Damn it! I, I was about to say that too. Yeah, but did you not get a real like '80s vibe to it? Oh yeah, yeah. And also, as you know, I'm a sucker for reggae music, so the song "You're Beautiful," love that one. Rocking his falsetto. <laughs> kind of remind me of yeah. a song that Vaughn might do on Community, though. It had that like a cute acoustic reggae feel. Yeah. Did I miss any here? Uh, yeah, I basically, I was going to say the whole back half from like 911 to the end, I loved. Yeah. Like, I, I loved the whole thing, but it, it really stood out to me more, the back half. Well, even though Hayden Neal was gone, the Jack Soul story actually doesn't quite end this album. Um, a Greatest Hits compilation would come out in 2014, and it would actually include three unreleased tracks. You had a whole day spiraling and got to have it. Uh, and that Greatest Hits recording would again be nominated for Juno Award in 2014 for R&B and Soul recording, but it would uh, lose to The Weeknd and his song often. So even posthumously, and like five years posthumously, um, Hayden Neal is racking up the Juno nods. Yeah. Well, you know, he, we, we, we end this... Um, podcast today because we already kind of basically figured out that he didn't do this band or have a career in music because he wanted to be huge in the US or anything like that like we usually try to scratch our heads about Um, but I was really still glad that we did this episode because even though it took a month for us to put together and again I'm sorry I had some things um, God it was great going through the career of Hayden Neal and how good some of that funky soul is oh well, it's yeah. The the wanting to have a family and like a regular job as well as being an artist is the one thing. But also, I mean, part of it was the music itself. The mm-hmm. the cheese stands alone in the situation because that was the thing. It's like no one else was really doing what he's doing, or what they were doing, and so they probably had trouble putting him in a specific spot, right? Like I know they had their own, you know, the soul and R and B had its own uh, thing, but he. He wasn't quite typical R&B either. And that well, was the thing. So it's like, was he pop? Was he R&B? He's one of those guys that just falls through the cracks. There's a, something a little bit different that goes on now uh, now than what did back then. So nowadays, like Bruno Mars is a perfect example of this. He does yeah. throwbacks to 70s funk all the time. Oh, yeah. And he'll get played on pop radio. What they would do with a guy like Hayden Neal is if he's doing a genre that they would say, oh, someone's parents listen to this, he'd get relegated to adult contemporary radio 
or channels like Much More Music or right. stuff like that because they figure it'll appeal to an older crowd. Um, and it does. But I think it appeals to everybody. Yeah, the parent... Well, it definitely does. But that's the thing. When you're a kid, sometimes, like, if your dad saw... I mean, maybe you and I are a bad example because we embrace a lot of the stuff that our parents listen to. But, like, your average 16, 17-year-old doofus is like, oh, I saw this young man, Hayden Neal, and his band Jack Soul. is phenomenal. No, no, I'm going to go listen to Belly. Hey, you're not a big fan of Belly. I don't know. I don't even remember what the <laughs> Just, that was the first person that came to mind. You know what I mean? Of that era. Yeah, we, haven't, we haven't dropped too many uh, belly references on this uh, on this show. Yeah, I was saying it for effect. You know what I mean? It's I know like what you kids, mean. Kids will kind of plug their ears to their parents' crap, and like, yeah. no, no, I'm going to listen to this because it's contemporary. Why well, do? It sounds contemporary. I do remember when I had like kind of um, wanted when I started going through the back catalog. Going through my parents' stuff was just kind of like I had a brand new CD collection at my disposal. You know, it was great. And I'd go through all my dad's Eagles and Clapton and uh, my mom's Aretha Franklin. And uh, they had a bunch of Ray Charles I would go through and stuff like that. It was it was fun going through all the old stuff. And uh, hopefully more kids do that. I don't know what the hell happened to my parents. Either they got, like lost a bunch of their tapes or like because they didn't buy a lot of CDs till like mm. I started buying CDs. Oh, okay. And then like uh, because... I don't know. They just—they were big radio people. Yeah, they had—they had tapes and the radio, and that was fine. But uh, yeah, they had a small tape collection that I, I revisited once in a while back in the day. But I definitely remember one time being outside with you. Park Hill might have been there too, or in the backyard of your place. And your yeah. dad was like doing some gardening, and he was like sitting on that <laughs> gardening thing, and he had the disc man, and I think he was listening to Buddy Holly because he was singing something to himself. He was like, you know, pig is so no. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. When my dad was gardening, it was always either Buddy Holly, yeah. uh, Abba, oh yeah, or guess who? Like routine or the the Seeger Sessions Bruce album. That was like routinely what he would listen yeah. to. Well, I had fun with this episode, and yeah, it was I, great I, listening I did, to some. I did too. Pardon me. Originally, I was about to say I was going to say me too, but then I said me did too, but then I was like that's not right. <laughs> I did too. You're talking like Tarzan. Yeah. All right, let me see what's next on the chopping block because I can't remember if we're doing Gob next or the Tea Party next. Hold on, I gotta go way I back. It was the two-parter on uh, what's her face, Swollen Members. No, right? I think it's because towards we just the did end. R&B. No, it's oh, right, because I had to redo the order. Hold on, ah, I redid the order. Now Swollen Members is gonna be our last episode of the season. It's Gob next week. Damn. Guys on bikes. Were you into the pop punk <laughs> slash punk rock of the early 2000s, late 90s? Do you want to jump in a lake on a hot day in the summer? Do you want to buy your girl soda? Is that the same song? No, those are two different ones. They All sounded right. very they sounded very <laughs> similar. Uh, do you want to go to some place called Beauville? I'll tell you what you got to Here's what to do, Brian. Yeah, there it is. I was told in high school that I looked like Theo from Gob. So see, I, I, I remember the, you telling me that. Yeah. I don't. I never saw it. Some of the guys in the Comtech class said that to me. So let's just see. Maybe you can find an old picture of me during my punk rock days and Theo and put them side by side. And Ted does not come from Theo, just in case you're wondering. Um, 
and just see if, uh, if our fans on the IG they think they think that, uh, that we look similar. They definitely won't, but... <laughs> Don't be so negative. <laughs> All right, we're going to come at you with a whole new podcast on time this time. <laughs> Gob, it's going to be good. It's going to be Shibanuva. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. Anything else you got? Follow the IG. Uh, Canon FM. Uh, Five-star review. You know the drill. Why the five-star five star review? Men. There you go. We're five-star men. Five uh, I'm running out of gas. All but, right. Uh, well, you know what? I, I think the baby is, uh, it's, it's cried out a couple of times. Poor Bryn's, like, locked away in the bedroom. I think, uh, trying to keep so it you're quiet. Saying, so you're saying I hear you calling? Oh, wow, more, there's another one. One more gob reference yeah, for the road. You're coming at me a little hard here, Brian. I think you got to give up the grudge. Ah. Good stuff. There you go. All right, we'll have more gob puns and fun with gob <laughs> next week on Canada FM. Play us out, classified. Mic check one two one two. Yeah.